This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 347. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. Happy December. Happy late Thanksgiving. We're back. We're back for a couple more episodes (laughs) before the year ends. We have a great interview today with Michael Aiello, the Senior Director of Creative Development at Universal Orlando Resort. We asked him about Christmas at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Eric and I interviewed him earlier this week. He's a huge Harry Potter fan. It was a fun interview, right, Eric? Yeah, it was super, super, super fun. So we'll get to that later in the show. We also got some we also got some uh, messages. We got some feedback about our last episode, some debate about Depp, and we got some news about Depp and <laughs> a funny error that came up that we're going to talk about uh, in the 20th anniversary edition Harry Potter books. Eric and I could have reread those 20th anniversary edition Harry Potter books before we went to our latest Harry Potter trivia night because Ugh. we did pretty bad. <laughs> Might have helped if we had reread the entire series. Well, you're going through a read through of the series, aren't you? Yes. Aren't you on book four by now? Yeah, or well, book- and and I was right about that one that I just read before the question came up. He said, you know, which curses does Moody do in Goblet of Fire, unforgivable curses. And the answer was all three. But for some reason, the quiz supposed master thought it was just one. And people were rioting in the bar. A lot of people left early. Yeah, for those listening at home and paying attention to this podcast, Andrew and I have been to a couple of Chicago Harry Potter trivia nights since Andrew moved here. And this was by far the worst that we've uh, done (laughs) at these trivia nights. We started strong. Last time we got what second place or first time we got second place and then lower. Yeah, but yeah. um, we were thinking of you, Micah, because the first round of questions were identifying Lego Harry Potter characters. Yeah, interesting. Like, oh, yeah. Like how did they do that though? Did they just describe them or did they throw them up on <laughs> throw them <laughs> up screen? Yeah, yeah. They threw them. They had the visual like the little minifigure pictures, and we had to um, pick out who they were. But they tricked us because two of them were Neville. Right. And it was really frustrating because I knew it was Neville's clothes in both of the Legos. But in the second one, he had like buck teeth and we were debating, oh, they wouldn't do Neville twice. And then they were like, oh, it was a trick question. We're like, yeah, well, get out of here. Yeah. You know what you should have done, though? You should have uh, used your lifeline, phoned a friend, Arthur Parsons. and Been like, who is this? FaceTime. Who is this guy? Yeah. You would have been uh, ahead at least at the start. I assume he's a Lego creator. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he'd be like, "Who are you guys?" <laughs> He's what been on the show. With Muggle cast. I did resist the urge to tweet him though while we were losing at trivia. <laughs> we did meet a few Muggle cast listeners. That was nice though. So that's true. Yeah. Thanks for saying hi. Yeah. It was so it was a good time. Anyway, I'm not sure if this counts as news, but I wanted to bring it up because I think it speaks to the current age we live in with with J.K. Rowling's Twitter account. So earlier this year, we reviewed the 20th anniversary Harry Potter editions. They're beautiful books. They are. There's one for each house. So whichever house you get, it's the cover is colored to match your house colors. The pages are colored. It has special content about your house in it. For example, the Ravenclaw book, the one Micah has, will have information about Ravenclaw and, and famous wizards and Ravenclaw, stuff like that. So... It came to light earlier this week that a little factoid in the Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff editions was based on a fake J.K. Rowling tweet made by College Humor. (laughs) There was an article they wrote called, J.K. Rowling knows way too much about her characters. And 
a supposed fan tweeted, have any of the Hogwarts teachers ever dated? And then the fake JK Rowling tweet says, of course, Sprout and Flitwick had a long-term relationship. They broke up but remained friends. So this little tidbit was actually in the book. It says in the book, did you know? Professor Sprout had a long-term relationship with fellow teacher Professor Flitwick. Sadly, it didn't work out, but they remained friends. <laughs> so it was it was basically ripped straight from the tweet. <laughs> so I think this means, first of all, it's canon now. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah. It's a it's appeared in a published edition of Philosopher's Stone for crying out loud. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, nice work, college humor at right at contributing to the uh, Harry Potter canon. Better than you know what this means. We need to start talking about fake tweets here on the show so that they can make it into future Harry Potter editions, the 30th anniversary edition. That's true. Yeah, definitely. That's something to aim, aim high, is what they say. Yeah. So obviously, these books were published by Bloomsbury. Did they not check these facts, quote unquote, with J.K. Rowling before they went to publication? I don't know. It's so strange. That's what seems so strange to me is that if this is in fact not true, and it's definitely in the book. I know you just read it. I looked at the copy of the book that I have, and it's right there in uh, Flitwick's bio. This is highly disappointing, though. So you're saying that Sprout and Flitwick were not boning in the greenhouses. Uh, (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) There's plenty of fan fiction about that, I'm sure. But uh, With Mandrakes, too, I'm sure. I think what you're... Mandrakes. So um, Bloomsbury is now aware of this, and they say in future editions it will not be published. So I assume they're going to be doing something like this over in the U.S. for the 20th anniversary editions as well, and it'll definitely be removed by then. But yeah, pretty big blunder. And you know what's funny? We actually spoke about this on MuggleCast, and I went back and found the clip. This is from episode 325 back in the summer when Micah finds it, and it strikes him as odd. This book. Uh, And then just a couple other notes that I put down here, kind of going off the Flitwick point. He was a dueling champion, or that's at least the rumor, when he was uh, a young lad. Uh, He has some goblet ancestry, which would explain, I think, his height, at least. And that he and Sprout had a long-term relationship (laughs) that did not work out. Oh, well. (laughs) I can see that. What, you notice how the inflection to... in my well, voice changed? Well, at least in the movie, Sprout's kind of short. So like two shorties <laughs> falling for each other. Oh, God. So there we go. We were duped. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> well, I, I think this really does tip the hand of it shows it pulls the curtain back on how much oversight J.K. Rowling needs to have these days for a published edition of her books. Right. I mean, this is Bloomsbury. We usually can trust these people, but they accidentally included a a fact that is clearly not real. And I'm just wondering where exactly they found this tweet. Did they find it in the College Humor article or did it like turn up in Tumblr? Did it like make its way to the Harry Potter wiki? Because I pray that they did not find this on College Humor because A, College Humor is obviously a parody site. But right below this fake tweet is another tweet that is very inappropriate. And I would think that if you saw the Sprout Flitwick tweet and then you went to the tweet directly below it, you would definitely think <laughs> that this was all fake. And I, it's not appropriate for this podcast, so I won't bring it up. But it's, oh. <laughs> it's <laughs> cracked me up. I took a screenshot of this other fake tweet 
and I put it in the hypable article. And then right above the tweet, I wrote in all caps bold, note to Bloomsbury, the following tweet is fake. Please don't publish it in a book. <laughs> oh, and here's the other thing that was frustrating about this. So, okay, they find this fake tweet. You could easily verify this by going to J.K. Rowling's Twitter, and Twitter.com has these advanced search tools that let you search specific Twitter accounts. So all one had to do was search J.K. Rowling's Twitter account for Sprout Flitwick, and that's what I did, and there are no tweets whatsoever in her entire account with those two names in it. It just means that Bloomsbury sourced information about Hogwarts and about Hogwarts houses for their house editions from areas that weren't J.K. Rowling herself, which shouldn't be that shocking. She's a busy woman. She does yeah. 500 things now. But it's very highly questionable when something like this just ends in a – like there's no fact-checking either or there's no – at no point now would I suggest to that J.K. Rowling has seen these house editions before they flew off the shelves. Right. That's my thing is that they obviously have to have a direct line of contact to J.K. Rowling. So the fact that this gets published, it's one small thing. At the end of the day, it's nothing that earth-shattering. But it makes you wonder what else is in some of these other house editions that may not be true. And that's it. It's in Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff books, that same false fact. And this is the problem with the universe expanding by way of J.K. Rowling's tweets. A lot of people have... I personally love that she drops these factoids on Twitter. She has kind of gotten away from that over the past year. But I always love when she does it. Some, however have not enjoyed this because she's kind of flippantly adding to canon every time she opens Twitter, which is a little strange. Yeah. And I think this mistake speaks to the dangers of her doing that because whoever found this tweet and apparently thought it was a real tweet said to themselves, well, this looks like it was from her account, so it must be true. Yeah, and I mean it's now it now calls into question like retconning, which is what a lot of people think or complain that that's what J.K. Rowling is doing. If something was a fact that impacts these characters that took place a long time ago but isn't in the original seven books, then you're going back, you're changing canon, you're retconning. It didn't matter. The only canon is what's in the first seven books. Now you publish this, these new house editions of the first book and they contain all these – incorrect facts in this case one incorrect fact just so interesting right now there's a retcon that is retroactively it's wrong but it's in the first book so if anybody has these including micah and eric you have little collector's editions now yeah though i'd be curious to like go buy one on amazon right now and see if i get one with the incorrect info because i have the gryffindor and slytherin ones not the ones you two have you know I don't think they're really going to be in a hurry to replace that fact. Probably not. Yeah, it's not like they're going to pull all those remaining books off store shelves. Millions of copies, yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about some other news. We've debated um, Johnny Depp being in Fantastic Beasts because of some allegations in his past. And we have some feedback later in the show, by the way, with people on both sides of this debate. But David Yates, the director of Fantastic Beasts and the final four Harry Potter movies, has waded into this debate as well. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly, published last week, he was doing an interview about the crimes of Grindelwald 
And he said some stuff that has stirred up this debate further. He said, honestly, there's an issue at the moment where there's a lot of people being accused of things. But with Johnny, it seems to me there was one person who took a pop at him and claimed something. I can only tell you about the man I see every day. He's full of decency and kindness, and that's all I see. Whatever accusation was out there doesn't tally with the kind of human being I've been working with. He added, it's very different than cases where there are multiple accusers over many years that need to be examined, and we need to reflect on our industry that allows that to roll on year in and year out. Johnny isn't in that category in any shape or form, so to me, it doesn't bear any more analysis. It's a dead issue. So he only hit his wife once where she took pictures and, you know, has evidence uh, against him just that one time. And he seems like a great guy. He's always been nice to me, says David Yates. And that is what has upset people so much, because just because it happened once doesn't mean it's okay. A wife beater is a wife beater, guys. Right. And David Yates also saying there was one person who took a pop at him. What does that mean? That's a British phrase. I'm sure it, it's not a pop as in physical pop. It's No, no, like I know. She, but yeah. a pop meaning just tried to get some money out of him? Or oh, right. Yeah, take yeah. Him yeah. To it, court? Suggests, like, it suggests selfish intentions or something. Right. It, it, it really characterizes Amber Heard in a very negative light without saying her name and then goes on to say, well, you know, over here in the boys club where I've need, need never needed to worry about somebody physically dominating me, Johnny Depp's a great guy. Right. So this understandably upset a lot of people. And I just feel like these questions are probably not going to go away. They may, November 2018 is still a long time away, but I think it's going to linger because again, this, this movie is named after his character and it just invites criticism. On the one hand, you'll get to have all the fun you want with Photoshop, uh, making little adjustments every time a new statement comes out. Which I've been doing. <laughs> I'm living for those, by the way. <laughs> this kind of statement, though, too, is that much more magnified given everything that's going on today in the news cycle, in our society, a lot of accusations and a lot of things being proven about people that's just extremely disturbing and extremely disappointing. And I think that for David Yates to minimize by saying, you know, he's full of decency, he's full of kindness, I don't think anybody is really disputing that he could be a great guy when he's on set. But that <laughs> right. doesn't mean that he's not doing other things when he's not on set. It doesn't mean domestic abuse didn't happen. Exactly. A hundred percent. And I agree with what you said before about, well, just because it happened one time doesn't also mean that you can just dismiss it. And I think that these statements to me are a bit disheartening from somebody that I've interviewed, that I sat right across the table from and had a conversation with. And it's very protective of him. And I think, in truth, Warner Brothers and everybody involved with this film had the opportunity to make a decision at the end of the last movie, they could have gone in a different direction. They could have made a change now. And who knows what may come to light in the future. Now you're stuck. Now, if he is really a focal point of this next movie, you can't get away from that. Everybody's doubling down. Where Warner Brothers should be concerning or, or, or expressing the fact that they've heard our concerns, because it's very much not a Harry Potter thing what not in the spirit of Harry Potter to cast uh, a wife abuser 
in the role of it doesn't matter if he's a villain or not to put him in your film when you have a choice of thousands of other talented actors. I don't think Johnny Depp is anything special personally. Me, myself, it kind of annoys me. But, I mean, literally, there's other people to choose from. And instead of saying, we've heard your concerns, they're saying, oh, it was just one timer. Oh, he's got so much talent. Ah. And David Yates, in, th- in this comment, the such talent thing was what they first said when it first kind of blew up right before, I think, the first Fantastic Beasts film. Now, for David Yates to say, it's a dead issue to us, speaking on behalf of Warner Brothers, J.K. Rowling, David Heyman, producers. To me, it's a dead issue. That means that they are not willing. They're closed-minded. They're not willing to change in light of the potential for new information to arise. It came off to me like he was annoyed that he was being asked the question, especially with that line, it's a dead issue to me. That kind of implies like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Let's move on. But here's the thing. There are people who are still upset about this, and it's unresolved. So it's very much not a dead issue, Mr. Yates. And I I love this guy, too. Yeah, he's a good you know, guy. In person, nicest guy. But I can't defend not only Yates's decision, but J.K. Rowling's silence on the issue. I just, this is a, it's a problem. We've known about it for at least a year, maybe more. And they won't say anything other than, oh, he's a great guy. He's got such great talent. Can't see anybody else in this role. They're not acknowledging our pain and our concern. That's the other thing I would... I was going to add is that this all came about well before sort of the the mainstream news stories that are going on right now related to other celebrities and and people in the media. Mm-hmm. So now it's being magnified that much more. And like I said earlier, like I'm just I'm troubled more so by the response that Yates is giving here. And to your point, Eric, sort of the lack of response from other people who should be a little bit more outspoken. I think last point I want to make here is that this wasn't rehearsed ahead of time. I don't think anybody went to the Yates and said, hey, you know, in case this comes up, here's what you should say. Yates should have just said, no comment. Right. I well, don't want to talk that about that. That said, Andrew, he does have a whole PR team behind him that could have prepped him for this. No comment probably would have been the best thing as opposed to what you just read he a said, couple minutes ago. Mischaracterizing this as a recent issue as well. That's a good point, Micah, because this issue didn't come out as a result of the post-Harvey Weinstein era Hollywood. This was out years ago, and Yates and everybody else's inaction towards it to deal with it is a crucial misstep. All right, so we have some feedback to get to, and then we're going to run our interview with Michael A.L. Oh, great interview about how the Christmas at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter came together. I pitched him on my Dumbledore Falling Tower of Terror ride. Wait till you hear what he has to say. (laughs) I felt so relieved to finally pitch it to somebody. But first, we want to tell you about this week's sponsor, Canvas People. This is a great gift idea for the holidays. CanvasPeople.com has a very easy-to-use photo-to-canvas service that takes your favorite photo memories and turns them into beautiful artwork for you to enjoy every day. Instead of snapping that beautiful photo and letting it go to waste in your cell phone, getting lost in your camera roll, you can bring that photo to life. Put it on your walls at home, in your office, or, and this is why I love that we're telling you about Canvas People now, it's a great gift. It's a great gift. People use these for weddings, for newborns, for pets, for family photos. Maybe for our listeners, 
special moment at the Wizarding World theme parks or the studio tour or a book release or just hanging out with your friends. We take such great photos on our phones and we post them to Instagram and other social media and then they just kind of get lost. Make these photos permanent. You can do that with canvaspeople.com. You can buy with confidence. Over 1 million customers served. I am proudly one of them. And they're high-quality canvases made here in the United States with fast shipping and great attention to detail. Normally, the 11 by 14 canvases are priced at $69.99, but for a limited time, you can get one free 11 by 14 canvas. All you got to do is pay shipping. The 11 by 14 canvas is a good size. That is a, it's a nice size canvas for hanging up on your wall. If you've seen me do video in the past couple of weeks, we were just doing a Patreon live stream. You can see the canvas that I've actually hanging up behind me of my dog. But again, these are just great holiday gifts because they're going to be cheap for you. <laughs> All you got to do is pay shipping. <laughs> so canvaspeople.com and the magic code to get you this special deal is code MUGGLE, M-U-G-G-L-E. Again, it's canvaspeople.com. Try this, really. You're not going to regret it. It's a great holiday gift idea for for a loved one in your life. Just find a good picture and uh, make it permanent. Put it on your wall. You're going to love it. I need to use this for somebody this holiday. Eric, do I have any good pictures of you? I'm getting you a canvas. Uh, We'll have to take a selfie the next trivia night. (laughs) Do it before the trivia actually starts. Yeah. So you're still smiling. Otherwise, we'll be frowning. Yeah. It's pretty sad by the end of these can uh, but by, by the end of these canvas nights, by the end of these trivia nights, everybody's like bummed that they were not smart. <laughs> Are you all at least buzzed? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. There's at least it that. was a healthy loss. I keep saying that it's a healthy loss. Yeah. That's how I describe it. All right. Thanks, canvas people, for your support of the show. Thank you. So uh, let's get to a little feedback here. What did we hear from our listeners this week, Micah? So as you mentioned uh, at the top of the show, we we heard some interesting feedback on the Johnny Depp situation, also as it related to the title of the upcoming Fantastic Beast movie. First from Charlotte, who says, can we just find a way to recast Johnny Depp as Colin Farrell? He was a better Grindelwald than Depp will be, and problematic element sorted. So interesting suggestion there. I think We've actually seen a lot of people advocate for that. I know that we mentioned on our last episode, Michael Harley over at MuggleNet and the Alohomora podcast actually photoshopped Colin Farrell into Johnny Depp's position on the yeah. uh, photo that they released uh, a couple weeks ago of the cast. Could this have been a solution? I mean, people would have recognized Colin Farrell from the last movie. There's probably a way they could have worked it where... I don't know how, but I think it's probably the easiest solution to what has been a big topic of conversation. Yeah, that Grindelwald sort of retained the face of his last victim, presuming he killed Graves in order to take his place. Would have been a good solution. I, you know, I, I think the issue is that nobody on the production side wants to change or wants to recast Johnny. They made that decision a year ago. They drew a line in the sand and there it is. Andrew, what do you think? No, I think that uh, I know a lot of people have been gunning for this idea, Colin Farrell, <laughs> replacing him. I loved Colin Farrell in Fantastic Beasts 1. It, it bones me out that we're not going to see him again. I think it seems pretty certain, didn't he say in an interview, that we're not? So not only will he not Johnny Depp be recast by Colin Farrell, but I don't think we're going to see him at all 
playing graves. He's running as far away as possible that he can get from this dumpster fire. Yeah. We also heard from Nate Patton, who says, Usually, really enjoy your commentary and insight on MuggleCast, but you were so down and negative on everything Fantastic Beasts but the wardrobe. Okay. You really have no desire to explore the second greatest wizard villain of all time and the reason behind his madness? Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the casting choice of Johnny Depp has played into your dislike for Grindelwald and his story in general. Grindelwald is an incredible character, and his relationship with Dumbledore is fascinating. I also want to know how he got the Elder Wand. I know. Okay. Well, we've definitely criticized it, but I, I really liked Fantastic Beasts, and everybody I speak to seems to say that as well. I was talking to somebody just the other day, and they were they were they adored it. And I think people love this movie so much and this franchise going forward because we don't really know what is coming. We don't know the surprises. And it's an adult Wizarding World story. To the point about Grindelwald, yeah, it will be cool to explore the second greatest Wizarding villain of all time and the reason behind the madness. I'm looking forward to all of it. And of course, seeing how Dumbledore plays in with Fantastic Beast number two. Oh my God, I can't wait to see that. There, how's that for some positivity? Look, I think if you take... The previous conversation, and put it aside for a second, Johnny Depp plays Madness very well. So I think we're going to get a really good insight into Grindelwald's character. But I do agree that, Nate, you make a great point. Perhaps everything going on with him has informed a little bit of our perspective on the movie, the title of the movie, what we've gotten so far. But it's hard to pull the two apart. I don't know what you think, Eric. It's interesting that you said like he plays madness well. He does. I won't debate that. I think that for me, I wanted in Grindelwald a more of a straight man, right? More of a not in terms of his orientation, but in terms of uh, non madness, right? He's a villain who believes that he is right. He believes that it's right to suppress Muggles, and. I'm not sure that I kind of want a Mad Hatter, Willy Wonka type character for that. You know, I kind of want just more of a... Colin Farrell played it straight, right? Colin Farrell played it like, this is what must be done. And so I'm hoping that in his role, Johnny Depp plays it a little less crazily as he usually approaches roles that people give him. I really want to see... I want to understand... I want to empathize with this guy as a villain, because that makes a more compelling villain, right? You're like, oh, he had a tough childhood. Oh, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Still a villain, still have to kill him, but we feel better about it, right? Right. But at the same time, is there that Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, Captain Jack Sparrow weirdness side to him? Yeah. There's got to be. Well, and I'll also say that I think once we get the first trailer, which maybe will be with Star Wars, we'll see. Once we get that first trailer, our focus on this show, and I think in the fandom, is going to change back to the plot. Yeah. We can't really, it's probably, yeah, it's probably going to. Yeah. We can't Every really excitement. talk much about the plot now because we don't know exactly what's mm-hmm. happening. So if there are teases in this trailer to, uh, shall we say, distract us, then right. And and I would just go back to a point that we bring up a lot on this show, and that is, you know, we're here to really look at things from as many different perspectives as we can. And sometimes if we're a bit negative, it's because that's the angle that we're coming at it from. And there's probably people out there that 
agree with what we're saying. Not to say that everybody needs to agree all the time. That That's what makes for sort of the great discussion that we have. But I think some of the criticism is certainly warranted. Here's what I'll say in direct response to Nate's comment about us you know, being down on it. We have no desire to explore the second grade. Like this is, it's a chain, right? My default state as a Harry Potter fan, as a longtime Harry Potter fan, my default state is to be super excited about anything coming down the pipe from J.K. Rowling and company, right? David Yates, David Heyman. I couldn't be more excited that the same team that brought us the great Fantastic Beasts film, but also the Harry Potter series, is doing another film. Genuinely, default state is excited. Then when I see continued decision-making that leads me astray, like my ability, Warner Brothers' ability to handle a PR crisis in a tactful, responsible, woke, current modern way leads me to believe, and this is just my opinion, that there may be impaired judgment. And from that, that is where I can somehow stop being as excited about four new movies. Because if there's impaired judgment in one area of allowing this this actor to go unscathed with with almost no sort of analysis, sympathy towards the way the audience feels, then what other bad decisions are they going to make that are going to be non-appealing to the average Harry Potter fan? Because I will say, in regards to the Harry Potter base, in regards to the audience of these films, Harry Potter fans are very tolerant, and they were raised that way by the source material in Joe's books, to be as accepting and tolerant and thoughtful and, what's the word again, woke, I hate using that word, but whatever, to these current events. And for J.K. Rowling, the queen, to be so careless about this sensitive topic, my natural exuberance takes a hit. That's all. And so I'd love to be excited about these next four films, but when things like this happen, it questions their judgment in my mind. It dampens it, but we're still all excited. And again, I think once the trailer comes out, we're going to kind of temporarily move on from this yeah thank you for letting me talk through that (laughs) all right thanks nate yeah by the way i'm seeing here james is saying he's listening live on patreon.com slash mugglecast right now he says there's actually a really old mugglecast episode where you guys say johnny depp will be a good serious 2000s johnny depp mind interesting i could see us giving that recommendation (laughs) yeah Yeah. serious is crazy who said that jamie (laughs) possibly yeah We'll have to go back and uh, check the tape. Megan Rodriguez said, I have to agree with Micah, of course, about the crimes of Grindelwald, though not in simplicity, but in the broad sense. How do they pick a select number of crimes to focus on and dictate which should take priority? So I read this and my immediate reaction was, they're not going to pick specific crimes, but it's kind of saying the crimes of Grindelwald caused where we are. The crimes of Grindelwald are why we're here. So I don't think we're going to be looking at specific cases because I think we brought this up on a recent episode as well. Like, where are they going to go with his crimes? No, I I just think it's going to... The crimes of Grindelwald are causing dot, 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 led to this. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, My feeling was just that it's very simplistic in terms of its meeting. I'm sure there's a lot more there that we don't know about and we will only find out about once we sit down and watch the film. 
that's probably stating the obvious a bit, but just want a little bit more. You know, I want to think a little bit more. And, and for me, that title just, it doesn't do it. And then finally on Twitter, we heard from Vanessa Cho, who just says, yo, have a little bit more of an open mind. Trust in Joe. Yeah. So. Trust in Joe. Okay. Well, thank you for that feedback over on twitter.com slash mugglecast. We have an interview now. Eric and I spoke with Michael Aiello, and here that is now. Let's just let's preface this with saying one more thing is that in spite of all the stuff we just talked about, this interview is a blast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. We're joined by Mike Aiello, Senior Director of Creative Development at Universal Orlando Resort. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I think this is my first time on MuggleCast. It is. It is. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on. Really exciting time for you guys down at Universal. Yeah, well, Andrew, I know you 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 had a, the great opportunity to go and visit uh, Universal and see these uh, developments in action. So that must have been pretty exciting. Yeah, it was. It was it was really fantastic. And uh, Mike, you were kind of walking the press through it. Um, congratulations on such a, a beautiful event that you guys are running now through January sixth. Oh, thanks so much, man. I'm glad you got to see it. It's uh, uh, like anything within the Wizarding World. Every opportunity that we get to uh, create, expand, or or latch onto any of the ideas or or textures within the Wizarding World is an absolute joy. It is the it's just the coolest world to create within and, and to, to live in, you know, to, to be able to, to create not only things the guests recognize, but also uh, things that the fans love and maybe even in some cases with the current content, some opportunities to create things they haven't seen before, which is, which is always great because you, you want to be able to create new things within this amazing wizarding world. We tend to agree. We love living in Harry's world. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. Um, well, if we can start off uh, and just ask you a quick question about you. How did you sort of get involved? How did you get your start? How does one become Senior Director of Creative Development? It's super easy, man. It was like one interview and... No, no. <laughs> no my, I've been with Universal for almost 23 years now. Uh, I started uh, when I was 17 years old back in uh, the late 90s. And uh, I've worn many hats from uh, uh, killing the shark at Jaws on the Jaws ride to uh, clicking people into queue lines to being a character at Horror Nights to uh, writing uh, uh, shows within Horror Nights, creating mazes for Halloween Horror Nights. It's been this awesome, you know, two decade. Oh, my gosh. Two decade journey. Um, uh, just, you know, kind of right place, right time and, and being passionate about, about the content that I'm given. Uh, that, that's the other cool thing about, about what I get to do is yes, I, I, I create theme park content and I work for universal Orlando, but at my heart, I'm a fan and, um, yeah. I've been given the kind of the keys to, to these amazing worlds and, and been entrusted and, and bear the weight of what that represents as well. You know, that, uh, it, it is not lost on me that my task is to create, uh, content within JK Rowling's, uh, amazing story. And, and that's not lost on me or, or, or the hundreds of people that I work with and that are all in favor of the same effort, you know? Yeah, the properties so, that that Universal works with are astoundingly good. <laughs> you know, separate from like what, what Universal Creative, they're the ones that do all the permanent buildings, all the ride attractions. My world is is the entertainment. My world is is the one on one 
uh, potentially one-on-one interactions that the guests have uh, beyond the architecture itself, you know, like the conductor of the Hogwarts Express or the Frog Choir or Triwizard Spirit Rally, Celestina, um, all of these ways we can engage the guest in a very real and human way. Uh, that is what that is what I, I my team and 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 what I represent in in our content, uh, as well as you know all all the seasonal content that that happens within any of the portions of our of our resort. Um, but you know when I got the the email saying that we'd finally gotten the green light to uh, transform our Wizarding World into Christmas in the Wizarding World, that was an email I've been waiting for for a long long time. Yeah, so I'm glad you bring that up. So, so when did you get that email, and then how long did this process take to put together this entire takeover? It was about three years ago, um, and it was wow. it was in combination with a really a, a a a holiday initiative that included the Wizarding World, but also knowing that um, at that time, three years later, we wanted to really do a massive change to our our parade content over in the studios. So the the timing really represented more of a business timing of being able to come to the table in 2017 with a massive new holiday application that not only included our parade, but of course uh, this new Christmas overlay into all of our Potter content. So it was, it was primarily, you know, planets aligning a little bit, but also a business initiative on a, on a very specific goal to make 2017 for our holidays, something that no one had ever seen before. Uh, yeah, that sounds amazing. And yeah, Universal continues to, to put out content unlike anything we've ever seen. I mean, you do it in your rides to the Gringotts ride, Forbidden Journey are both, you know, cutting edge technology and it's just such a pleasure to go to the Universal Park and see those things in action. So, oh yeah, man, um, those teams, the, they, they knocked it out of the park yeah. with those attractions. Absolutely, absolutely. So, with the Wizarding World uh, takeover and Christmas at Hogwarts, what um, did did you draw inspiration from the the Harry Potter books, the Harry Potter films? What was sort of the process on that? Absolutely. Now, I've been creating Potter content now since uh, two thousand seven, and you're absolutely right. N- nothing is ever created without first going into the source material. J. J. K. Rowling's books. Um, I still have my first set of books from 2007, although I can't really use them anymore because they're literally falling apart, but I've kept them because <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're dog-eared. They've got like uh, uh, post-it notes inside. They're literally yeah, the spines. The are, what's that? It's like we know the look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. In fact, now I actually have uh, – I've got digital versions of all the books now that, uh, that we can do, you know, ser- keyword searches so that we can access, you know, uh, all the content, at, you know, at a, at a very quick pace. Um, so the process for Christmas really was um, – pulling out every single instance that Christmas is represented in those books. Um, every single uh, line of dialogue, every single um, paragraph of, of narrative, uh, as well as the films, going into the, the, the films and, and pulling out clips that represent every single look uh, of how uh, Christmas in the Wizarding World is unlike any other Christmas application. And really creating kind of a Bible. Um, a syllabus, so to speak, of um, of all of this content before we even engage in a brainstorming session. Um, and really the process really started with uh, 
really starting almost backwards on how do we want to end the guest day. And that really was the, 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 the map projection show on Hogwarts Castle. We, we began with that as the anchor for our, our, our application. Uh, and that presented its own set of unique challenges because how do you do that? How, how do we want to represent the castle so that it still feels within story and not just a projection surface? Uh, and that was really a, a, a first rule that we set for ourselves that we wanted to adhere to. We did not want the castle to merely be a surface. We wanted it to, to be able to become um, uh, and, or, and or portray moments that still keep the castle relevant. You know, we didn't want like when we opened Hogsmeade uh, in 2010, we did a a a a, a less uh, t- advanced map projection experience, uh, which really was more of a call to action to introduce the, the brand to the world where um, the castle was would open up. And within the brick, kind of like when um, Diagon Alley um, reveals itself, that brick would separate or the rock would separate. And within that, you saw a clip from the film. You would see Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter in, in a scene. You would see Hermione. You'd see Ron, um, which was a great way to kind of engage the audience that this is what the Wizarding World is and fit the bill as far as our opening event. But that is something we did not want to do with this show. We wanted to, to, to place the guests within the story by saying, they are gazing at Hogwarts Castle like anyone else would in the fiction, whether on a boat in the Black Lake or from a distance in Hogsmeade. Um, we want to make sure that anybody viewing it still sees Hogwarts. Um, and then there were some just selfish things, like for, you know, for us as a, as, a, as a creative team going, man, I would just love to see students flying around the castle for the first time you know, with my own eyes. I, I want to see that. Yeah. So how do we work that in? Um, and then looking at Christmas, okay, things that really stick out. What, is, what are the first things you think of when you think Christmas and Harry Potter? I think of Christmas trees. I think of the Yule Ball because that is a major event that happens, again, only during Triwizard, yeah. but also during the holidays. Uh, and again, that, that icy texture that the, that the, the Great Hall takes on. Um, so all of these things, you know, really the, the first things that come to mind start bubbling to the surface. And that, that's one whole session of brainstorming. Just, you know, the average person, what do they think of when they think Potter and Christmas? And then you start to deep dive. You start to go, okay, well, uh, so, and things kind of happen organically in, in the creative process. It, it, it literally is a, a blank ink board that we sit around a table and, and throw things at, you know, um, you know, we, we, we knew we wanted students flying around the castle. We said, okay, well, what can they do? We, we, we thought about a lot of things like, you know, they're having, you know, uh, the equivalent of snowball fights, but they never touch the snowballs. They create them and then cast them. You know, we thought about the snowmen, which actually happened. And then we're like, okay, what if we made each snowman representative of one of the houses of Hogwarts? All right, that's cool. And then I remember I said, oh, and what if the, what if the Anglia comes in and just, just, just hits all the snowmen because the Anglia would do that. Anglia takes no prisoners. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's literally See, I, how these things start. And we just, we, you know, you guys laugh. We were laughing too. We're like, Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. That would come out of nowhere. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's figure that out. You know, and this is, that's the yeah. easy part is going, okay, here's all these ideas. The, yeah. the, the challenging part is all of the math involved with, actually technically mapping Hogwarts Castle because it is a massive structure that has 
so many angles. The rock work alone has so many um, uh, indentations and deviations. And, and you want that to be a clean slate to be able to project on. So how do you do it? Well, not easily. Because the other side of this equation is we knew that there would be a massive technical requirement to do this. But we also knew we couldn't see any of it. We did not want anyone to see where any of the projectors are. And I'll tell you, there are 24 projectors total that are, are hitting Hogwarts Castle in various angles. Some that surround and are, are, are embedded within Hogsmeade and or behind our Hippogriff uh, attraction. Some that are actually within the castle structure itself to be able to hit some of the spires that, that lie deep within the architecture itself. Nice. So 24 total projectors that are now housed within architecture that um, we had to build in order to hide them. So that yeah. there's a massive effort there and all the math involved with making sure the angles are, are proper, that, that everything is blending, that all these 24 images are blending seamlessly into each other to create a singular image. Um, yeah. And then something as simple as we had a, you know, in our concept art, we had a look um, that actually uh, our, our Hollywood Park did first, which was all of these lights that surround... Um, that surround uh, the, the, the Pictish stage where Frog Choir performs. We've got all these trees, mm-hmm. and they're covered in lights. We said, that's great, but I don't want to see any bulbs during the day. I don't want guests to, to see these trees right. that should be, you know, essentially are, are, are extensions of the Forbidden Forest, you know, behind the Pictish. We don't want to see um, Christmas lights. So our USH Park did an amazing thing, which we, we, we took uh, because it works. They created these amazing um, pine cones that house the LED bulbs, but during the day look like pine cones, oh. um, and oh that that, that hide all of the tech. Um, so th- you've got this amazing show with all these visuals, and then you've got this other amazing behind the scenes process of making sure that everything still looks in world. Um, so these yeah. there's these two amazing ideologies that have to converge in order to present something that is real for our guests. Um, yeah. The other great thing, the other one of the first things we that we talked about in the creative process wasn't even the show itself. It was what does Hogwarts look like during Christmas? Because we want to recreate the feeling that people got when they saw that castle for the first time when we built it. We want to recreate that that feeling for Christmas. Because again, for since 2010, everyone has seen Hogwarts Castle with their own eyes. They know what it looks like, you know, physically. So how do we recreate that emotion? So the first thing we, we brainstormed was um, how we were going to apply a snow, s- snowy landscape to all of the rock and all the spires of Hogwarts so that when people around that corner, only during the, the, the December, you know, November, December months, that we've presented a brand new looking Hogwarts that now, yeah. honestly, matches Hogsmeade for the very first time. Yeah. Because Hogsmeade's yeah. completely snow covered, you know. Right. Um, so for yeah. the first time, everything kind of lives in the same world for the holidays and it's, and it achieved that. I mean, it's, it's really cool to see people walk around the corner again that have been to our park, you know, hundreds of times now walk around that corner and they have a completely new view of Hogwarts and that, that, that's, that's the coolest, that it's just the coolest feeling to see. 
Yeah, I, I'm so glad we got to see the Hogwarts show twice on the castle because the first time I was a little further back and then when you guys ran it a second time for us, it was really, the visuals were just surreal being so close to the castle and the lights were so vibrant on the castles, on the castle and the details were so thorough. It was, it was really mind blowing and pictures and video just don't do it justice. Seeing it in person is just just wow <laughs> it's a lot of wow well, i'm glad you liked it it's 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 kind of look, yeah. looking at a dream it's the it's the it's the coolest yeah. thing and it's fun i mean it, it runs the gamut it's got amazing music and we recorded all the music with london symphony orchestra at abbey road it's a complete rearrangement of uh john williams tracks nicholas hooper uh alexander desplat there's a there's a little bit of uh, of everything in 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 the, in the show as far as mu- music is concerned um yeah and uh, it's, it runs the gamut. The Yule Ball section is gorgeous and romantic. The Weasleys come out and they, they, they magically turn the castle into the products they sell in their, in their shop. Because why wouldn't the Weasleys market themselves? Of course they would. <laughs> they do in the books. And, and uh, you mentioned those pinecone lights. I really loved the lights surrounding the castle and where you're standing because it made, it, it made the show immersive. Like you're looking at the castle, but then having the trees all light up and the lights are timed with what you're seeing on the castle, it just really makes it a complete experience like you're in the middle of something. Yeah, and, and that's a good that, call there. Oh well, you know I can't take credit for that. That that is our USH Park because they. I don't know if you've seen the Four House show that they produced uh, for their grand opening, and then they translated it and adapted it for a nighttime show they did just this past summer. And um, they yeah. were the ones that did the, the lights, the pine cones. I, I cannot take credit for that. Um, cool. They 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 made a brilliant decision, and it, it completely works. Uh, and that four house show they've done. I don't know if you've seen seen that in person or video. Yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, so jumping to the live action entertainment that you have there, um, the new songs by Celestine are so good. I mean, they are just. I was dancing watching her performed. They're so catchy. Akio Christmas and uh, my baby got me a hippogriff for Christmas. They're so good. Who came up with those? Uh, that that was myself and a guy named uh, Alan Zachary and another guy named Michael Weiner. Um, Alan oh, and Michael man. worked with me uh, and, and a guy named Joe Zenus, um, who is another brilliant musician. Um, Michael, Alan, and Joe were with me for the original Celestina show, uh, which incidentally, mm. that park was never supposed to have two shows. That second show came about about five months before we opened um, because – we discovered that, uh, that, that we wanted to have uh, alternating show content. Originally, Tales was going to be um, one show that, uh, that, that was the only show that ran. And, um, and uh, about in January before we opened, they said, uh, we want another show. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. We, we, you know, we open you know, in the summer. Uh, how are we going to do this? Yeah. So we, again, went back to the fiction and, and we're trying to figure out, okay, what can we create that could fit in the, within Diagon? Because Diagon's a unique place because it, it's, it's mainly commerce, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. The Carkin Market area uh, naturally had a place where you could perform a show, which is why we put Tails there. And they're kind of a traveling troupe, you know? So they, they, it makes sense that they would, they would pick yeah. that place to perform among other places if they traveled there, you know? Um, so we're we're going through the fiction, also investigating the what's what's being built already. And there was a I'm sure you guys know, there right next to Gringotts, there's a wizarding wireless network megaphone that actually we actually yes. did all the recordings for that. All all the, the dialogue and all the sound effects you hear we produced. Um 
and I, I'm, uh, we were looking at that. I'm like, okay, so Wizarding Wireless Network, how can that be an entry point for us? And then going through back through the books, Chamber of Secrets calls out Molly Weasley's, one of her favorite singers, is a woman named Celestina Warbeck. And we immediately went, okay, so there's this singer we know very little about. Is there an opportunity here to, to create something around this character? Because, again, I love music. I think music is a really great theme park tactic to be able to engage, especially in an area like Diagon, which is very, um, it's a very busy place. So we need something that's big and grand. And knowing Celestina is kind of the, the diva of the wizarding world. Uh, and again, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know. Um, you, you know, uh, she's also inspired by Shirley Bassey. So, you know, we kind of already yeah. felt an idea of, okay, so we kind of get a sense of who this character is, or the, at least the type of style of music she represents. Let's create, let's, let's create some music. Combing through the fiction, we saw that, uh, you know, there was a couple songs in the, in the fiction, also many songs in the Daily Prophet newsletters that went to fan club members uh, back when the films were, were coming out. So there were four songs there we could, we could create. This is the unique challenge that presented us with the holidays. There were no songs. There, weren't, there, right. were, there was no Christmas music. There was no titles to pull from. So this was literally a ground-up creation of trying to identify Celestina's Christmas. Um, and it, it began with the titles. We, we, began, we began with 25 titles. We would mull around with them and start doing, you know, Alan and Michael would do some lyrics. We got with Warner Brothers and, and the Blair Partnership and got their feedback on certain titles and narrowed it down to the four that you, you hear now um, that I just love. Uh, Accio Christmas is like yeah. the Feliz Navidad of the Wizarding World, you know. <laughs> uh, it's got this kind of cal- Calypso-inspired, you know, texture. Um, so it was just this awesome re-engagement of Celestina and what type of music, not only that feels within the Wizarding World, but can be accessible even if you're not a fan. That it just—it's just a good song, you know. Yeah, I, I think it comes from. Uh, I mean, all of this really, the, the success, the the fact that Celestina is so darn awesome and fun to watch, comes from a ground up understanding, a deep understanding of the character and and the world. And so, congratulations, hats off to you there. Oh, thanks so much. Again, I'm I'm the guy that gets to talk on the microphone, but there's so many people that that are involved in that process. So <laughs> yeah. I, I thank them for for their their passion. And again, we're all just fans that got these really cool gigs creating within these worlds. Has uh, has J.K. Rowling seen the the Christmas show yet? Has she seen the the Hogwarts and the and the new songs and all that? I you know what I have no idea honestly. Um, I imagine she is a very busy person, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. especially that's, with that's you know possible. all of her that's, new that's work with uh, Fantastic Beasts. So I, I'm not sure. I, I would hope that she has, and if not, maybe it'll be after we close, and then she's got this awesome Christmas gift. You know, later in the year where she's like, oh, my gosh, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, uh, one more question for you here. Uh, since uh, I, I assume you get around in the park a little bit, uh, do you do you have a favorite type of butterbeer? And uh, and what is it? Hot. That That is my favorite. Hot. Oh, thank you. Agreed. Thank you, sir. Hot butterbeer so is the best. It, I wish it was all year round. But I'm uh, but I, actually I'm glad it's not because I can just be excited by it for most of the year and then yeah. finally get it in my hands. <laughs> can you talk? Right. Can you talk to somebody and make it year round? Because I I keep sending people there and they go there and it's not available. You know what? I part of me kind of likes that it's seasonal because again, like what I said, it's this kind of you wait for it all year and then when you finally get it, it's like yes, here it is. Yeah, exactly. No, it is the best. It's its, it's own little Potter Christmas gift. 
Um, what what can you tell us about the attraction your team is working on for where Dragon Challenge used to be? Uh, well, the, I can't tell you anything because um, that team is not my team. Uh, I, I, okay. I don't handle any of the ride attractions. That's uh, Universal Creative. Um, but what I, I'm sure is the case is that it's going to be something that will fit nicely within Hogsmeade and Hogwarts. It's going to be just as vivid and authentic and fun. Um, but uh, I, I'm just as excited as everybody else to kind of find out what's going on over there. Yeah. I have a uh, quick ride pitch for you. Dumbledore's falling Tower of Terror. You know, like Tower of Terror, but inspired by the Astronomy Tower and Dumbledore falling. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm, I'm terrified right now. <laughs> okay. Andrew's, Andrew's been pitching that one for like eight years. Yeah, We're, I guess. We'll, we'll go over to, when we, if we ever talk to Universal Creative, we'll pitch it over there, too. So. You know what? And I'm sure but they're yeah, going to love it just as much as I have. Uh, michael it's michael it's been great speaking with you i i have to ask too you mentioned the the universal parade uh you know what what can you tell us about that and and what else sort of what other areas are what what are you building out up around uh around the studios and uh islands of adventure that may not be harry potter related yeah well um again the other half of this holiday equation is our our new universal holiday parade featuring macy's it is uh brand new floats featuring minions and shrek and Madagascar. It's got an amazing orchestral score. It's completely different than the prior Macy parades that we've done over the past 15 years. It's a from the ground up, a completely new application. Uh, uh, but balloons in the air, Santa, there's confetti, there's snow. It's just uh, it's a warm blanket of Christmassy goodness. And, uh, and then over at Islands, uh, kind of our cornerstone is uh, Grinchmas. Again, you can walk through Dr. Seuss's world. You interact with Who's. You can go see our Grinchmas Huladay Spectacular, which is an awesome theatrical retelling of the, of the Grinch's story and how he hated Christmas, but then his, uh, his heart grew three sizes. Uh, amazing music by Mannheim Steamroller. Uh, again, there's so much content going on this year for the holidays. It's, it, I can honestly say it's the, it's the biggest holiday application we've done uh, in the last 16, 17 years. Yeah, it, it's really impressive. And again, it was, it was a blast to walk around and enjoy the hot butter beer and watch all the shows. That's so, awesome. So I'm so Mike, glad you guys had a good time. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait to see this in future years. I imagine you'll continue to uh, evolve it and, and make it uh, worth returning to every year. So and that's what we're that's what we're all about. Awesome. And by the way, we can really tell you're you're a huge Harry Potter fan. So I, I can, we can appreciate that a lot. Oh, cool, we're man. Glad oh, you're I'm on glad. board. <laughs> What's your favorite Harry Potter book real quick before we let you go? Goblet of Fire. Oh, OK, cool. It's my favorite book. Uh, I think it's my favorite movie, too. Although that, that's a tough one. Awesome. But th- definitely my yeah. favorite book. I, I just like how I like, I like the narrative of it a lot. Cool. Well, Mike, we'll check out Christmas at the Wizarding World and Universal Christmas events going on now through January 6th. Thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome, guys. This was awesome. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank All you. Right. That was a fun talk. He's a super cool guy. I didn't bring this. I meant to bring it up while talking to him. But when I saw him at the press day, he was wearing a uh, Ron Weasley sweater, like the one in the movies. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> He's a diehard fan. It, it was really great talking to him. Clearly. Yeah, he answered. We had a document, like a workflow of questions, and he was answering our questions before we even asked them because, like, one thing led to another, and he was just so passionate about his responses. Yeah, and then after the interview, uh, Universal called me back and they said they're going to hire me to develop this Dumbledore 
astronomy tower of terror right so it's really it was a very productive interview i feel there be you honest go. you've known about this for years and that's what's going where dragon challenge was. yeah i was gonna say they're gonna need you there next uh year to officially break ground andrew since they're uh developing your concept yeah i'm, I'm moving into one of their great hotels down there <laughs> uh, and thank you by the way though speaking of uh, all of the holiday setup going on down at the wizarding world you were nice enough to get something and, and send it to both myself and eric so I appreciate the Ravenclaw ornament that uh, you sent my way. And I have hung my Hufflepuff stocking with pride and care Aww. on my mantelpiece. Aww. Well, you are both very welcome. I mean, I put it on the MuggleCast card, but you're both very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it came from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> Thanks, patrons. <laughs> All right. So we got an email here. This is from Sarah. Hey guys, I don't really know why I'm continuing to argue this. I really want it to be wrong because I love Queenie and Jacob and the entire foursomes dynamic, but just continuing on from the idea of Queenie possibly siding with Grindelwald, two things. Makusa is against Jacob and Queenie being together, so what if Grindelwald pretends that he actually wants wizards and nomages to be together? Or that if Queenie helps to take down Makusa, he'll change the law? It says in the plot that Grindelwald has, quote, set about gathering followers, most unsuspecting of his true agenda, end quote. Also, he could be a good oculens and potentially block slash only let Queenie see what he wants her to see. He's obviously a very powerful wizard. Anyway, feel free to prove me wrong. Like that a lot. P.S. Appreciating the hate on depth. That's a good point. That little that little line from the synopsis. Quotes set about gathering followers most unsuspecting of his true agenda. Why are they unsuspecting? Why are they unsuspecting? It's uh, it's very eagle-eyed. Props to Sarah for suggesting it. And I think the question becomes, what does the wizarding world at, at large know about Grindelwald's true agenda to this point? Newt seemed pretty clued in, to be perfectly honest. The greater good, he quotes back at him and he knows a little bit what that means. So... Is there really a reality where Queenie knows much less than Newt about Grindelwald's type of personality and what he's after and what he means to the world in general as a threat? And she gets hoodwinked or or sucked in. Very interesting to ponder. Right. One thing that came to mind to go off of what you said, Eric, when you're talking about being unsuspecting, are you under somebody's control? Does he have the ability to sort of be this puppet master where people are doing things that maybe they don't know that they're doing them? Uh, maybe. Now for some text messages. This is from Adriana. Hi, MuggleCast. First of all, you're welcome for starting the text messaging you guys trend. I can't believe nobody had texted before. Just listening to the Beast Mode episode, I love the idea of Beast being metaphorical and not necessarily literal beasts. I also speculate that the crimes of Grindelwald may not necessarily be focused on Grindelwald himself. I imagine Newt and Co. to be investigating the wake of his destruction, and he would be physically in the movie much less than anticipated. I could be way off base, but I don't think JKR would just throw us headfirst into a full-on Grindelwald battle. Love the shows, always keep being awesome. It's a good idea. That's sort of my concern, too, is we got four films. Grindelwald can't be defeated till the very last one for good, so how many Grindelwald battles are there going to be? You know, how many times are they going to duel this guy before the, the final one? I so it's yeah. I don't know if there's going to be a battle in this one involving Grindelwald. Maybe, though. It's Well, as a film, it seems like they need, like, something to get you, right? Something, right. Some big across New York chase, car chases, the equivalent of, oh, man, broom chases. I want a broom chase in the Fantastic Beast series. 
before they wrap up. That's for sure. But um, yeah, I'd like to believe that Grindelwald will have a little role. And, th- and that's honestly what I expected before the title came out was that he'll do this big thing where he escapes from prison. It's it's huge. It's obviously the implications are felt worldwide. And then, you know, he doesn't really need to be in the film at all after that because he's biding his time. It's like Voldemort in Albania. It's like Voldemort not being in book three of Harry Potter. That's exactly what this is. He's just got to prepare for the, the end of the world. Takes time. True. Brie from Salt Lake. Yeah. She loves the show. Been a Potter fan from the beginning and have been listening to your show for about five or six years. Had a lot of mixed feelings about Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, as well as the picture that was released. Although it was really interesting to see Grindelwald with the Elder Wand, I have a question about that. If Newt disarmed Grindelwald in the subway, how come the Elder Wand doesn't belong to him? Draco disarmed Dumbledore on the astronomy tower, and the wand changed its allegiance. How does Grindelwald get the wand back? Am I thinking too hard? Thanks. I don't think Bree is thinking too hard. I think that J.K. Rowling opened the door for this level of analysis when she introduced the concept of wand allegiance in the first place, and it is all on Joe why we are speculating about this. I think that this definitively means that Newt, in fact, is the true owner of the Elder Wand currently. But didn't we look in the script book and the way it was described suggested that maybe he didn't disarm him or something like that or did disarm him? I don't know. We're, we're going to have to look into that. But yeah, I don't. maybe Dumbledore is going to go to Newt in this next movie and be like, Harry, or, <laughs> Newt, I have something to tell you. You are now the true owner of the Elder Wand. Yeah, and then Dumbledore has to kill Newt to get the Elder Wand. <laughs> <laughs> Which That'd doesn't be work because twist. Newt's still alive. I must take this from. Have you seen him around, Micah? Have you seen him roaming the halls of Hogwarts besides in that movie? I'm sorry, Newt. I have to kill you. <laughs> but you'll see me in the upcoming game, Harry Potter Wizards Unite. Maybe we will reunite there. I really think it's plausible. I, I honestly, getting back into wand ownership. You think it's plausible Dumbledore is going to kill Newt? No, no, no. I think it's plausible that Newt is currently the, uh, has the Elder Wand's allegiance which will ultimately lead to Grindelwald's downfall at some point. I really, I believe that. And maybe, maybe Dumbledore will spot that, you know, sort of he'll have a gleam of triumph, not to use a direct quote from a Harry Potter book in his eyes when, when Newt tells him, oh yeah, I disarmed him, you know, da, 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 da. But Grindelwald wasn't, somebody pointed this out on social, that Graves was not using the Elder Wand. So even though Grindelwald has the Elder Wand at this point somehow in his possession, or he knows where it is, somewhere for safekeeping. Graves was not using the Elder Wand, and so for Newt to disarm him using a different wand might not transfer the allegiance of the Elder Wand to a victor. Right. So there's that possibility. But doesn't this all sound so familiar? It does. And and I, I was going to go off of what you just said earlier, and that was maybe this is where Dumbledore learns about the Elder Wand's allegiance. You know, could something happen in this film or the next film where Grindelwald tries to attack Newt, but it backfires, or maybe this sets the groundwork for what he knows heading into the Harry Potter series? I think that's brilliant. Final text message here. <laughs> this is from Samantha. I was just thinking about Jacob's involvement and how he'll be a useful member of the quartet. 
Consider the amount of witches and wizards who rely solely on magical protection to the point of completely disregarding any muggle forms of protection. Is it possible he could be the one to look at things from a completely different angle and use this sort of brutish approach to get them through certain obstacles? For example, when he kicks down the door to Graves' office and punching Narlac. Love to know what you think. Punching Narlac. I love this example. I love the question. And I think it, it yes, the first, if there are clues about what Jacob's future will be, Hidden in the existing film, it's pretty much very obvious, yes. When he breaks down uh, Graves' door, Graves clearly wasn't expecting that. Yeah. You know, he put all the any level of magical protection that failed the Alohomora test, and then Jacob is sort of a blunt instrument. He's like they described James Bond in the films, right? He He's able to go in and extract what he needs because he does have a unique approach. So I like that idea, but I don't like the idea of Jacob being in harm's way. So... They should just put more armor on him. Jacob's going to die before <laughs> this series ends. He has to. Dumbledore is going to have to kill Jacob to get the Elder Wands allegiance. He's the Hedwig or the Dobby of the series. He's oh, innocent. No. His death will mark the end of the innocent times with his wizard friends. If he dies, nobody will ever watch. I'm going to start a worldwide boycott on the first Fantastic Beasts film, which already puts us through the ringer about Jacob, Okay. If you would like to call us or text us, you can do so with this number, 1920-368-4453. That's 1920-3-MUGGLE, M-U-G-G-L-E. Or you can tweet us, twitter.com slash MuggleCast to contact us or uh, MuggleCast at gmail.com. Okay, so for Quizage, what was last week's question, Eric? Quizage, that is a good question. The, to the uh, doc. <laughs> The question I was looking. Thank you to just like the, the number document. of the episode is in the doc. Uh, it's in the document. Okay, Didn't you missed this last week. Last week's question was I? I don't know. Where am I, guys? What year is it? The question was: What is Grindelwald's connection to Bathilda Bagshot? So the um, answer is: Bathilda Bagshot is actually a great aunt of Gellert Grindelwald. Hmm. Okay. Pretty cool stuff. So that's the answer. And then this week's question for those playing at home in the Sorting Hat chapter of Harry Potter book one, who are the first 10 students to be mentioned by name as getting sorted? There you go. Very specific. Yeah, very specific. But for this one, we actually need you to tweet at us using the brand new 280 character function over on Twitter. Tweet at us or send in your responses uh, on our social media or to our email address, and uh, we'll pick a random winner and say, congratulations, you've won Quizich. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We will be back next week. We gave you all the contact information, so we won't... Repeat that again, but, you know, check out MuggleCast.com. Go to Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We would love your support over there. Prior to this recording, we did a uh, hangout with Slug Club members, hung out with everybody, checked in on the weather around the country, <laughs> talked some <laughs> Harry Potter, heard uh, Eric talk about uh, his time in Colorado, and uh, I got to stare at Micah, which is always a good time. So, thanks. Likewise. <laughs> There are also other benefits over at uh, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Ad-free installments of the show. Early access to show notes. Access to our recording studio where you can listen to us stream live. Thanks to James, Christina, Alex, Kenny participating in the chat this morning. And a whole lot more. And that's what keeps the show going. So we appreciate it. 
just posted the most recent chapter reading, right, Eric? Yep, absolutely. We got, uh, it was a good one, Micah. You read uh, The Bogart in the Wardrobe. And Eric and I are about to uh, mail out some stuff to our, to our patrons, and we'll have some news in the new year about what we're going to mail out next year. We like to send people physical goods every year to yeah. say thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.